chapter nine of the garys and their friends by frank webb this librivox recording is in the public domain breaking up the time for the departure of the garys having been fixed all in the house were soon engaged in the bustle of preparation boxes were packed with books pictures and linen plate and china were wrapped and swaddled to prevent breakage and bruises carpets were taken up and packed away curtains taken down and looking-glasses covered only a small part of the house was left in a furnished state for the use of the overseer who was a young bachelor and did not require much space in superintending all these arrangements mrs Gary displayed great activity her former cheerfulness of manner had entirely returned and mr gary often listened with delight to the quick pattering of her feet as she tripped lightly through the hall and up and down the long stairs the birds that sang about the windows were not more cheerful than herself and when mr gary heard her merry voice singing her lively songs as in days gone by he experienced a feeling of satisfaction at the pleasant result of his acquiescence in her wishes he had consented to it as an act of justice due to her and the children there was no pleasure to himself growing out of the intended change beyond that of gratifying emily and securing freedom to her and the children he knew enough of the north to feel convinced that he could not expect to live there openly with emily without being exposed to ill-natured comments and closing upon himself the doors of many friends who had formerly received him with open arms the virtuous dignity of the northerner would be shocked not so much at his having children by a woman of colour but by his living with her in the midst of them and acknowledging her as his wife in the community where he now resided such things were more common the only point in which he differed from many other southern gentlemen in this matter was in his constancy to emily and the children and the more than ordinary kindness and affection with which he treated them mr Geary had for many years led a very retired life receiving an occasional gentleman visitor but this retirement had been entirely voluntary therefore by no means disagreeable but in the new home he had accepted he felt that he might be shunned and the reflection was anything but agreeable moreover he was about to leave a place endeared to him by a thousand associations here he had passed the whole of his life except about four years spent in travelling through europe and america mr Geary was seated in a room where there were many things to recall days long since departed the desk at which he was writing was once his father's and he well remembered the methodical manner in which every drawer was carefully kept over it hung a full-length portrait of his mother and it seemed as he gazed at it that it was only yesterday that she had taken his little hand in her own and walked with him down the long avenue of magnolias that were waving their flower-spangled branches in the morning breeze and loading it with fragrance near him was the table on which her work-basket used to stand he remembered how important he felt when permitted to hold the skeins of silk for her to wind and how he would watch her stitch stitch hour after hour 
at the screen that now stood beside the fireplace the colours were faded but the recollection of the pleasant smiles she would cast upon him from time to time as she looked up from her work was as fresh in his memory as if it were but yesterday mr geary was assorting and arranging the papers that the desk contained when he heard the rattle of wheels along the avenue and looking out of the window he saw a carriage approaching the coachman was guiding his horses with one hand and with the other he was endeavouring to keep a large old-fashioned trunk from falling from the top this was by no means an easy matter as the horses appeared quite restive and fully required his undivided attention the rather unsteady motion of the carriage caused its inmate to put his head out of the window and mr geary recognized his uncle john who lived in the northwestern part of the state on the borders of alabama he immediately left his desk and hastened to the door to receive him this is an unexpected visit but none the less pleasant on that account said mr geary his face lighting up with surprise and pleasure as uncle john alighted i had not the least expectation of being honoured by a visit from you what has brought you into this part of the country business of course i can't conceive it possible that you should have ventured so far from home at this early season for the mere purpose of paying me a visit you may take all the honour to yourself this time smilingly replied uncle john for i have come over for your especial benefit and if i accomplish the object of my journey i shall consider the time anything but thrown away let me take your coat and f see you to that truck said mr geary you see everything is topsy-turvy with us uncle john we look like moving don't we like that or an annual house-cleaning he replied as he picked his way through rolls of carpet and matting and between half-packed boxes and during which he had several narrow escapes from the nails that protruded from them on all sides it's getting very warm let me have something to drink said he wiping his face as he took his seat a julep plenty of brandy and ice and but little mint f on receiving this order departed in great haste in search of mrs geary as he knew that whilst concocting one julep she might be prevailed upon to mix another and f had himself a warm liking for that peculiar southern mixture which liking he never lost any opportunity to gratify emily hurried downstairs on hearing of the arrival of uncle john for he was regarded by her as a friend she had always received from him marked kindness and respect and upon the arrival of mr geary's visitors there was none she received with as much pleasure quickly mixing the drink she carried it into the room where he and her husband were sitting she was warmly greeted by the kind-hearted old man who in reply to her question if he had come to make them a farewell visit said he hoped not he trusted to make them many more in the same place i'm afraid you won't have an opportunity she replied in less than a week we expect to be on our way to new york i must go continued she and have a room prepared for you and hunt up the children you'll scarcely know them they have grown so much since you were here i'll soon send them and she hurried off to make uncle john's room comfortable i was never more surprised in my life said the old gentleman depositing the glass upon the table after draining it of its contents never more surprised than when i received your letter in which you stated your intention of going to the north to live a more ridiculous whim it is impossible to conceive the idea is perfectly absurd to leave a fine old place like this where you 
of everything around you so nice and comfortable to go north and settle amongst a parcel of strange yankees my dear boy you must give it up i'm no longer your guardian the law don't provide one for people of thirty years and upwards so it is out of my power to say you shall not do it but i am here to use all my powers of persuasion to induce you to relinquish the project uncle john you don't seem to understand the matter it is not a whim by any means it is a determination arising from a strict sense of duty i feel that it is an act of justice to emily and the children i don't pretend to be better than most men but my conscience will not permit me to be the owner of my own flesh and blood i'm going north because i wish to emancipate and educate my children you know i can't do it here at first i was as disinclined to favour the project as you are but i am now convinced it is my duty and i must add that my inclination runs in the same direction look here clarence my boy here interrupted uncle john you can't expect to live there as you do here the prejudice against persons of colour is much stronger in some of the northern cities than it is amongst us southerners you can't live with emily there as you do here you will be in everybody's mouth you won't be able to sustain your old connections with your northern friends you'll find that they will cut you dead i've looked at it well uncle john i've counted the cost and have made up my mind to meet with many disagreeable things if my old friends choose to turn their backs on me because my wife happens to belong to an oppressed race that is not my fault i don't feel that i've committed any sin by making the choice i have and so their conduct or opinions won't influence my happiness much listen to me clary for a moment rejoined the old gentleman as long as you live here in georgia you can sustain your present connection with impunity and if you should ever want to break it off you could do so by sending her and the children away it would be no more than other men have done and are doing every day but go to the north and it becomes a different thing your connection with emily will inevitably become a matter of notoriety and then you would find it difficult to shake her off there as you could here in case you wanted to marry another woman oh uncle uncle how can you speak so indifferently about my doing such an ungenerous act to characterize it in the very mildest terms i feel that emily is as much my wife in the eyes of god as if a thousand clergymen had united us it is not my fault that we are not legally married it is the fault of the laws my father did not feel that my mother was any more his wife than i do that emily is mine hush hush that is all nonsense boy and besides it is paying a very poor compliment to your mother to rank her with your mulatto mistress i like emily very much she has been kind affectionate and faithful to you yet i really can't see the propriety of your making a shipwreck of your whole life on her account now continued uncle john with great earnestness i hope for better things from you you have talents and wealth you belong to one of the oldest and best families in the state when i am gone you will be the last of our name i had hoped that you would have done something to keep it from sinking into obscurity there is no honour in the state to which you might not have aspired with a fair chance of success but if you carry out your absurd determination you will ruin yourself effectually well i shall be ruined then for i am determined to go i feel it my duty to carry out my design said mr gary well well clary rejoined his uncle i've done my duty to my brother's son i own that although i cannot agree with you in your project i can and do honour the unselfish motive that prompts it you will always find me your friend under all circumstances and now concluded he it's off my mind the children were brought in and duly admired 
a box of miniature carpenter's tools was produced also a wonderful man with a string through his waist which string when pulled caused him to throw his arms and legs about in a most astonishing manner the little folks were highly delighted with these presents which uncle john had purchased at augusta they scampered off and soon had every small specimen of sable humanity on the place at their heels in ecstatic admiration of the wonderful articles of which they had so recently acquired possession as uncle john had absolutely refused all other refreshment than the jeweller before mentioned dinner was ordered at a much earlier hour than usual he ate very heartily as was his custom and moreover persisted in stuffing the children as old gentlemen will do sometimes until their mother was compelled to interfere to prevent their having a bilious attack in consequence whilst the gentlemen were sitting over their dessert mr geary asked his uncle if he had not a sister with whom there was some mystery connected no mystery replied uncle john your aunt made a very low marriage and father cut her off from the family entirely it happened when i was very young she was the eldest of us all there were four of us as you know your father bernard i and this sister of whom we are speaking she has been dead for some years she married a carpenter whom father employed on the place a poor white man from new york i've heard it said that he was handsome but drunken and vicious they left one child a boy i believe he is alive in the north somewhere or was a few years since and did she never make any overtures for a reconciliation she did some years before father's death but he was inexorable he returned her letter and died without seeing or forgiving her replied uncle john poor thing i suppose they were very poor i suppose they were i have no sympathy for her she deserved her fate for marrying a greasy mechanic in opposition to her father's commands when she might have connected herself with any of the highest families in the state the gentlemen remained a long while that night sipping their wine smoking cigars and discussing the probable result of the contemplated change uncle john seemed to have the worst forebodings as to the ultimate consequences and gave it as his decided opinion that they would all return to the old place in less than a year you'll soon get tired of it said he everything is so different there here you can get on well in your present relations but mark me you'll find nothing but disappointment and trouble where you are going the next morning he departed for his home he kissed the children affectionately and shook hands warmly with their mother after getting into the carriage he held out his hand again to his nephew saying i am afraid you are going to be disappointed but i hope you may not good-bye good-bye god bless you and his blue eyes looked very watery as he was driven from the door that day a letter arrived from savannah informing them that the ship in which they had engaged passage would be ready to sail in a few days and they therefore determined that the first installment of boxes and trunks should be sent to the city forthwith and to f was assigned the melancholy duty of superintending their removal let me go with him pa begged little clarence who heard his father giving f his instructions oh no replied mr gary the cart will be full of goods there will be no room for you papa i can ride my pony besides you might let me go for i shan't have many more chances to ride him do let me go oh yes massa let him go why dad our child can take care of his pony all by hisself you should just see dem two de other day you see de pony carefout kind of big dat day and tuck a heap of airs on hisself and tried to throw him warn't no good massa clary conquered him pleatly mighty smart boy dat continued eph looking at little clarence admiringly mighty smart i let him shoot off my pistol toder day 
and he pat the ball smack through the bull's eye that boy's gwine to be a perfect ramrod oh pa laughingly interrupted little clarence i've been telling him of what you read to me about nimrod being a great hunter that's quite a mistake f said mr garrett joining in the laugh well i knowed it was suffin said f scratching his head suffin with a rod to it was all right on that pint but you're gwine to let him go ain't your massa i suppose i must replied mr Gary. but mind now that no accident occurs to young ramrod i'll take care of dat said f who hastened off to prepare the horses followed by the delighted clarence that evening after his return from savannah clarence kept his little sister's eyes expanded to an unprecedented extent by his narration of the wonderful occurrences attendant on his trip to town and also of what he had seen in the vessel he produced an immense orange also a vast store of almonds and raisins which had been given him by the good-natured steward but em said he we are going to sleep in such funny little places even pa and mamma have got to sleep on little shelves stuck up against the wall and they've got a thing that swings from the ceiling that they keep the tumblers and wine glasses in every glass has got a little hole for itself oh it's so nice and have they got any nice shady trees on the ship asked the wondering little em oh no what nonsense answered clarence swelling with the importance conferred by his superior knowledge why no em who ever heard of such a thing as trees on a ship they couldn't have trees on a ship if they wanted there's no earth for them to grow in but i'll tell you what they've got they've got masts a great deal higher than any tree and i'm going to climb clear up to the top when we go to live on the ship i wouldn't said em you might fall down like ben did from the tree and then you'd have to have your head sewed up as he had the probability that an occurrence of this nature might be the result of his attempt to climb the mast seemed to have considerable weight with master clarence so he relieved his sister's mind at once by relinquishing the project the morning for departure at length arrived f brought the carriage to the door at an early hour and sat upon the box the picture of despair he did not descend from his eminence to assist in any of the little arrangements for the journey being very fearful that the seat he occupied might be resumed by its rightful owner he having had a lengthy contest with a sable official who acted as coachman and who had striven manfully on this occasion to take possession of his usual elevated station on the family equipage this f would by no means permit as he declared he was gwine to let nobody drive massa dat day but hisself it was a mournful parting the slaves crowded around the carriage kissing and embracing the children and forcing upon them little tokens of remembrance blind jacob the patriarch of the place came and passed his hands over the face of little em for the last time as he had done almost every week since her birth that to use his own language he might see how to pick an any grove his bleared and sightless eyes were turned to heaven to ask a blessing on the little ones and their parents why daddy jake you should not take it so hard said mr Geary, with an attempt at cheerfulness you'll see us again some day no no massa i's feared i won't i's gettin mighty old massa and i's gwine home soon hopes i'll meet you all up yonder said he pointing heavenward i don't expect to see any of you here again many of the slaves were in tears and all deeply lamented the departure of their master and his family for mr Geary had always been the kindest of owners and mrs Geary was if possible more beloved than himself she was first at every sick-bed and had been comforter general of all the afflicted and distressed in the place at last the carriage rolled away and in a few hours they reached savannah and immediately went on board the vessel End of chapter nine